It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Now, here's your host, Casey Hendrickson. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm Casey Hendrickson. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. We've got Mike Bernard and Josh Gregory from Corhorn Financial Group with us. And, of course, we have another great show lined up for you guys today because we are joined with a very special guest, Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. Good. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. We are going to be talking about college financial aid. And Andrea is the assistant VP of traditional enrollment at Bethel College. So she's going to be helping us with that. In the second half of the show, we're also going to be taking listener questions and topics ranging from 401ks. We've got social security, Medicare. We've even got kitchen remodeling debates. <laughs> Isn't that supposed to be the show that like is coming on yeah, after stay, us. Stay tuned for that. Okay. Someone's got to pay thanks. for that, though. I'm just... <laughs> and thanks for submitting that question, Casey, about kitchen just, remodeling. <laughs> As always, you can submit your own questions by calling 574-222-2000, leave it on the voicemail, or you can get information about the show and even submit a question online by going to wisemoneyradio.com. So, Josh, why is financial aid such a timely topic for today? Well, I think it's a big deal this time of year because so many families, along with their high school kids or grandkids are starting the college hunt this time of year. There's a lot of college visits going on and, you know, ACTs and SATs are on people's mind, but they're trying to figure out what college is going to fit for their student. And a big piece of that puzzle that they need to get falling in place is financial aid. And uh, that, that's why I'm excited to have Andrea with us today. She, uh, in, in her role at Bethel College, she is responsible for the admissions process as well as financial aid. So she's kind of an expert in uh, all the topics that we're going to be hitting. I think we'll be able to learn a lot from her. I know I've got some questions lined up myself. I think, that we, I'd all, like to learn. I think we all have questions about it. I, I'm not even in school anymore. I still have questions about it. So Andrea, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into this? Sure. Um, I've been working at Bethel uh, for a number of years. I graduated from there in 1995 and started working as an admission counselor right after that. Uh, Worked at Bethel for eight and a half years and then went and worked at Biola University in Southern California for nine. Oh, wow. And I've been back at Bethel for three years now. So you made sure you went off to the coast and then... You better believe it. Got some sunshine. Are you regretting that this time of year? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Some days. All right. So... We have um, we, we have to obviously help define this for our listeners. You know, what are the different types of financial aid available to today's college students? Because I know there's been a lot of changes over the past couple of years. And I know that uh, one of my coworkers, he's got two daughters now in college. Yeah. And he was telling me about some of the differences and how it impacted him and what they had originally planned to do. So what are some of the differences that we have now? Well, I think most people's minds go to scholarships when you start talking about financial aid. And depending on what school uh, they're attending, that could be some sort of institutional scholarship that the the college or university offers for some great skill or experience that that student has. Uh, Or it could be something in the community, a more of a private scholarship, maybe the the local um, chamber of commerce or rotary club or something offers uh, a scholarship to a handful of students each year. So all of those types of of financial aid, though, they would I, I would refer to them as merit-based uh, mm-hmm. financial aid. Hopefully that's the right term. Andrea can set us straight if I'm wrong <laughs> on that. But uh, as opposed to need-based, where 
you know, based on your family's financial picture and, and resources and everything, you may be eligible for certain grants or certain loans, that, that sort of thing. But if you were to break it down into two camps, that's where I would, uh, I would draw the line. Yeah, most people, when they hear financial aid, they think scholarship. But it's really scholarship and loans as right. well. So, Andrea, when we have the, the different types of financial aid, you know, that we mentioned, I mean, how does a family go about knowing which one's best for them and, and their kid when they go off to college? Right. For need-based aid, families will need to fill out the FAFSA, which is the free application for federal student aid. FAFSA? Or? No, FAFSA. <laughs> Get it gotcha, right. Gotcha. Get it right. Um, and families can go to fafsa.ed.gov to complete that. Um, prior to walking through a student's senior year and, and going through the actual financial aid process, they can uh, go to fafsa.ed.gov and uh, fill out what's called the FAFSA forecaster. Oh. And that will help them determine hmm. what their need eligibility may or may not be. When do you recommend someone go and do that estimator? Yeah, I would say in somebody's junior year, junior doing year. the FAFSA forecaster could be a, a good step in the right direction for them. How much time does it take to? 10 minutes. So not much. No, it's it's really simple to fill wow, out. Wow, that's great. As a planner, that yeah, that that's huge. Yeah, and it's not 100% accurate because you're not giving detailed mm-hmm. um, information about family income and assets, but it is a, a good place to start for families for need-based aid. For merit-based aid, families need to start talking to colleges and universities, community foundations, uh, looking for scholarships on uh, web resources such as finaid.org or fastweb.com. Both are really good tools to use to find resources outside of a a given institution. So should the parents or should the student work with that specific school, each school's financial aid department? And so maybe as a junior, if they've got two or three schools in mind, do they reach out to each of them to start that process? Yeah, actually, you would start with the admission office. Most financial aid offices can't do anything for you until you have your actual FAFSA information. Interesting. Um, But the admission office can point you in the right direction as far as what are the parameters for merit-based scholarships, uh, what types of need-based awards are available. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can at least put your feelers out. So the admissions people aren't just the sales people of the college, then it sounds like. They actually are a resource that you would want to turn to and get help pre-planning Correct. for the financial aid? Correct. Okay. And what are those websites again for the merit-based? for the merit based? Sure. I, I hadn't heard those before. Fastweb.com okay. and finaid.org. All right. I've heard of Fastweb, haven't heard of finaid. Uh, yeah. So it's it's nice to have, because I think a lot of people don't know where to even start, you know, right. and they just assume that, you know, you apply to a college and, you know, you sit down with somebody and then hopefully you get all the information that you need. But there's a lot of legwork that you can do yeah. a couple of years before you get into this, put yourself in the best, you know, look, we shop around for buying cars and insurance and yeah. everything else. I mean, mm-hmm. it only makes sense that you would do that for higher education, especially considering this is going to be the biggest financial investment that a lot of people make in their entire lives, at least for a long time. Right. So if you're just tuning in. We're talking about college financial aid today, and this has come up on my regular show during the week a couple of times recently uh, with some of the students obviously pretty upset about <laughs> their student loan debt and everything well, else. Listen and to we've that done, part on Casey's show. That was great. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the woman who's, uh, what was it, uh, 100, it was more, it was it like was three, 300 grand yeah. in the hole for, uh, you know, studying Chinese medicine or what it was, uh, and she wasn't, <laughs> she wasn't done yet. Wow. So, so you've got it, you've got to, you know, do your legwork, but... You know, college financial aid is obviously a hugely important topic in our society. So if you're just tuning in, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, New Voice, we have decided to go ahead and improve the look 
<laughs> of the of the cast today. So Kevin's not Kevin here. Got bumped. Yeah, Andrea Helmuth is here. She's assistant VP of traditional enrollment at Bethel College. And again, we're just going over uh, financial hate aid here. And of course, we got uh, Josh and Mike here from Corn Financial Group. So Andrea, how important is it to get the FAFSA filled out quickly every single year? Yeah, I would fill it out as soon as you're able. Uh, some of the resources are first come, first serve, and um, institutional resources typically fall in that category. Institutions have set budgets for what they are able to spend or not spend, and so some of those resources may get eaten up if, if you uh, wait too long to apply. Definitely apply by the state deadline. You will miss out on state aid if you are even one minute late in oh submitting the no. FAFSA. Um, and so in the state of Indiana, that could be close to $8,000 that you could miss out on. Wow. And you don't want to do that. Institutions um, probably won't make up that dollar amount for you mm -hmm. um, if you miss that deadline. So in the state of Indiana, March 10th is the deadline that you want to fill out the FAFSA by. And for uh, Michigan, it would be March 1st mm -hmm. that you need to complete the FAFSA. So there were some big changes to this recently. That, and that's what part of what sparked the idea to make sure we have this show now. But it used to be, it, let's go back before the changes, before mm -hmm. you explain the changes. I used to always tell clients, hey, it's first come, first serve. Mm -hmm. So many people said, okay, so I need to get, get my taxes done ASAP. I said, well, you can use an estimated number, right? Is Correct. that what you would tell someone to Correct. do? Okay. Yes. So, And the FAFSA for this coming year, for the academic year of 2016-2017, the FAFSA opens on January 1st of 2016. Okay. Uh, so that's the first possible time that you could submit it. And you have until in the state of Indiana, March 10th, to complete that. Uh, you can use an estimated tax. And I would rather you use an estimated tax, get it submitted on time, go back and make corrections, rather than to miss the deadline. Uh, but starting in October of 2016, for and this will be for the 2017-2018 academic year, families can start completing the FAFSA in October. And it will be used on the prior prior year's tax yep. information. So you should have that tax paperwork completed and can submit your FAFSA early. That's okay. huge. So if, if Mike and I are advising our clients, <laughs> as we always have, early January, we want, we want them logging in, filling out the FAFSA, using estimated numbers. How much time do they have then to get the real numbers plugged in, to go back and amend it and get it fixed, make it accurate? Right. Well, you want to, again, do that as quickly as possible because if your numbers change, well, that's going to change what we as institutions are giving you. So you don't yeah. want to be surprised in July or August uh, yeah. that your institutional aid has changed or that your state or federal aid has changed. So uh, the sooner the better. In, in getting amended information. In. And, and let's not forget, 60 seconds can cost you eight grand. Yeah, that's an expensive <laughs> that's, minute. That's, that's not a motivator to make you get things done on time. I don't know what is. So coming up, we're going to continue our discussion about financial aid. Again, we have Andrea Helmuth from uh, Bethel College. She is. Uh, we also got the advisors from Core Financial Group. And from what I understand... Josh and Mike have some questions for you, Andrea. So sh this should get actually pretty interesting. You're listening to Wise Money on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. 
Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Once again, I'm Casey Hendrickson. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. In case you're just tuning in, we are talking about college financial aid. And Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College is joining us. As always, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory from Corhorn Financial Group are here as well. We kicked Kevin out today to make room from Andrea. Yes, me, it's an upgrade. Uh, guys, <laughs> we left off talking about the importance of FAFSA. But in this segment... You want to turn the topic to a discussion about, you know, financial planning for college and what families can do to improve the financial aid package that they receive from college or university. Well, that's right. And I think the FAFSA is uh, the perfect place to change gears and, and talk about this. I recently read an article about the FAFSA that it basically highlighted something that I consider to be one of the biggest financial aid mistakes that most students make. And I'm curious to get Andrea's uh, opinion on this. But the article was published by the U.S. News and World Reports. And the, the title of it, if you wanted to go read it yourself, is A Whole Lot of Students Don't Have a Safety School. And it basically revealed that two-thirds of students applying to college as freshmen only send their FAFSA data to one school. And here's what that means. When when you do go fill out that FAFSA form and um, you're, you're applying for financial aid, if uh, you only send that data at the end of, of filling out that form, you, you get to decide where you send it to, which schools. If you only send it to one, it kind of implies that you're only applying to one school. Mm-hmm. And the, the risk with that is that you, you may be selling yourself short from a financial aid standpoint. I've always been taught or, or told that um, you, you, you basically need to apply to multiple schools to give yourself the best shot at a good financial aid package, mostly because not every school is going to look at each student the same way. And maybe this comes into the uh, merit-based financial aid. But um, my understanding is you want to find the school that's going to offer the best package to you in your unique skill set, that kind of thing. But I guess my question, Andrea, is, is there any truth in that, uh, that line of thinking, I guess, that I've been uh, taught. But do financial aid officers uh, across various schools really have discretion over how much aid they can offer a student, or is it really very formula-based? When it comes to state and federal aid, it's very formula-based. Okay. Uh, when it comes to institutional aid, directors have more control. But there are institutional policies around even institutional aid. So huh. even that, they may not have a whole lot of control. So typically there are some predetermined things uh, or decisions that an institution makes that once they start down that road or that process for a given year, they're not going to make adjustments to those policies and procedures. So hmm. um, there, there is some flexibility. For example, if a family uh, has loss of income, an extended illness, Um, just some extenuating circumstances. Most aid offices will have an appeals process, and there is a little bit of flexibility with the federal government in us making what are called professional judgment decisions. Um, But even there, there are strict controls around that, uh, that we can't just do a professional judgment because we feel like doing it. The government kind of monitors that for us and tells us how to do that. So I guess the answer would be yes and no. Um, there, mm-hmm. There is some flexibility, but even within that, there are parameters. So do you recommend that someone have application or, or list a couple of different schools? And if so, how many? Yeah, I do recommend uh, that families apply for financial aid to multiple schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually found the data to be kind of shocking because a lot of our students are applying to multiple schools. And when we get the FAFSA, Um, At least in the past, we've been able to see what other schools, what other institutions they have sent that to, and you can send it to up to 10. 
Uh, now I don't recommend doing 10, but oh. um, having two or three others that you're you're submitting information to, okay. uh, I think is helpful. Um, it, it gives you comparison data, comparison information. Maybe we're making a mistake. Maybe they're not putting their safe school down because they haven't learned about safe spaces yet. That's what I was going to bring up. I'm glad you told us what that article is about. Education to high school now. We've got to (laughs) to move it out of college into high school. All right. So again, if you're just joining us, special guest today is Andrea Helmuth from uh, Bethel College, and we're talking about college financial aid. So Andrea, we talked earlier about merit-based and needs-based financial aid. So I would think that there are a lot of students out there that just assume to themselves, you know, I'm not eligible for needs-based aid or whatever. So maybe they don't even bother to fill out the FAFSA at all. So is that a mistake or are they actually saving themselves some time and maybe some disappointment, some frustration and aggravation for filling out government forms? I think it's a mistake in my own personal opinion. Most students are going to qualify for some type of loan. And so even if you don't qualify for uh, grant money, you could potentially qualify for loans. And so somebody, let's say they have um, some resources put away for for the education. What if you could get a, a loan at a lower interest rate and you take out the loan and use those resources to pay for the education and keep your investment in a savings account earning a higher rate of return? And then once the student graduates, well, you take that money out and you pay off the loan. So uh, you never pay interest on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, you've accumulated interest in your savings account. This okay. really does hit the planning aspect. And to me, when when you're facing a big financial choice, I like to have as many options as possible. Sure. And filling out a FAFSA, I always say that wrong. <laughs> I've Listening said it wrong audience, four times so. already. So, <laughs> uh, But when you're filling that out, you just open up more options available to you. Correct. And, and I'm not a big believer in borrowing money and, and so on. I'd much rather you know, pay cash and save up in advance for it. But the the FAFSA mm-hmm. will open up more opportunities, yeah. possibly. Yeah, and there could be some really wise ways to, to use loans. Yeah. Can, can you outline for us what are the types of loans out there these days for students? Sure. Um, there is the, the federal subsidized direct loan, and that is a need-based loan. And it comes with a low interest rate. Students don't make repayment on that until after they've graduated. Uh, there's a six-month grace period and interest starts accumulating after that time. But even in that grace period time, you could pay down the principal and save mm-hmm. yourself some some heartache there. Uh, while I was in grad school, my loans went into deferment. And so while they were in deferment, I paid down the principal and saved a big chunk on interest right there. So again, there are ways to use loans wisely. Um, a student can also qualify for an unsubsidized direct loan, which is uh, similar uh, to the subsidized, except you have to pay the interest on that loan while you're in school. And it's a little bit higher, right? The interest or close? I, I actually would have to check the website to see what the interest rate they is just, on both of those. They just published those interest rates. I don't have them right here in front of me, but I know the administration was high-fiving, saying that they kept interest rates at a low you know, 8% or, or 7% or something, like, calling that a big victory that they didn't increase to double digits or something mm. like that, but... I think it's those coming. interest rates, I know. It's coming. I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> waiting, I'm waiting for it, too, just like everybody is. Yeah. All right, so I, I look, I've got, Andrea, just because this is what I do during the week, I've <laughs> got to be the bad guy now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why should anybody listen to you? Because you're now the position that is being demonized by all these people who are going to school, and they're mad at their student loans, and their debt, and everything else. And uh, we referenced the video we played on my show a couple of weeks ago with Mike here earlier in the program, and uh, I think one one lady said that, 
the financial aid office was so sleek and streamlined that she wasn't able to even process a thought. And it was, they basically just <laughs> right through a tube and uh, immediately threw her <laughs> into debt. So, I mean, do you run into that a lot with people coming in? And how, how do you now kind of fight back against that? Because they're almost trying to paint you guys as the used car salesman now. Right. Well, I will say from my own experience in 20 years time, there have been multiple people that I have directed other places because I feel like they're taking out too much in debt. Hmm. And I, I try to advise them along the way that, you know, let's think about this. If you go to um, uh, the finaid.org website, um, actually, I take that back. It's the fastweb.com website. There's a loan repayment calculator that you can use. And go in there, type in how much you think you're going to take over the course of four years and, and see what that boils down to. Is it going to be a $100 loan payment a month? Is it going to be a $700 loan payment a month? Um, don't make blind decisions. A lot of people look at the loans coming to them and, and they're not really thinking about the, the long-term impact of that yeah. and what it really means for them. They just see it as an immediate gratification, right? Yeah. I, I get what I want going into school. Um, and I will also say that uh, for my own institution, for Bethel, uh, if you look at the White House's new um, college scorecard, um, I looked us up and compared us to one of the state institutions. Uh, we are graduating students at a faster rate, so we're graduating students in four years' time instead of six years' time. And we also, our students are, are taking on less debt. So the average debt load for Bethel was $22,000 compared to $25,000 for a state institution. So um, when you take both of those factors into consideration, somebody graduating from the state institution uh, was taking out more debt and they were in school longer. So that means that they're not in the workforce, workforce as quickly. Um, they're not getting a return on that investment. Uh, our students on average are getting out there two years faster. Um, so it, it really depends on a situation and you as the buyer have to be wise about the decision. You uh, got to research your institution too, not just all those loans. We actually talked about the average to graduate college now, yeah, six right. years. It's not four. Yeah, no. I think the average crazy. person thinks they're going to be done three, four years or whatever if they want to get a bachelor's and that's just not how it works anymore. I would just emphasize real quick, I know we're running out of time, Casey, in this segment, but I would just emphasize the planning aspect. I mean, Andrea, you've mentioned a few planning aspects, but you've mentioned them kind of right at the doorstep of this big step in someone's life, right as they're entering into college, see what loans are available and plan for that. I would encourage you out there, if you're listening and thinking, gosh, college is still several years away from me, come in and talk to a financial planner and start building building a plan as to how much you can set aside or should set aside so that you're not frantically curious and wondering, what are my options? Am I going to need to go into all this debt? Build a plan. We can, we can help you figure out exactly what you need to set aside today to get on track for that. And with Bethel being local here and with some of the other institutions being local, I mean, you have the opportunity to talk to people who are currently going there, had recently graduated, who graduated a few years ago, and are now in repayment. So you can talk to them, too, about mm -hmm. the whole process of, of how the financial aid actually went to get a better idea of which one might actually be best for you, too. Utilize those resources if you're local. All right, so we got uh, Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College again, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory from Quorum Financial Group. When we come back, we're actually going to start answering some listener questions, including some that deal with this very topic. And uh, we will go ahead and get to that coming up. On News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, you're listening to Wise Money with Corn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. 
And good morning. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Casey Hendrickson here. Again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Don't forget, you can go to wisemoneyradio.com, submit your questions online for the guys to answer on the show. We have also set up a voicemail box so you can call right in and leave a message. And again, that number is 574-222-2000. Some people just prefer to make phone calls rather than send emails. So today, we have been discussing financial aid, going to college, paying for college, and We've been joined by Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College here in Mishawaka, Indiana. And we have asked Andrea to stick around for the first question because it's actually related to this. Uh, This is from Rick in Elkhart. He says, my son is a freshman in college and the financial aid package that he received wasn't great this year. After all of his small scholarships, work study awards and student loans were counted, we were left with about $9,500 of expenses to pay out of pocket for his freshman year. That used up pretty much all we had saved so far, so I am worried about how we'll be able to pay for his remaining three years of college. Do you have any suggestions that we could consider for covering the family's out-of-pocket costs starting next year? Sure. Um, Well, I don't know your particular situation, and I don't know what you have already tried, so I apologize um, if some of my responses are things that you have already tried. Uh, But the number one thing that I would say is that uh, students underutilize resources outside of of a given institution, outside of the state and federal government. So going to the websites that I mentioned earlier, fastweb.com and finaid.org, to do a a search for scholarships. And you can do this beyond your freshman year of college. Uh, In your sophomore, junior, and senior year, you can be qualifying for some of these scholarships. And some of them are crazy, uh, like the duct tape scholarship, where you design your prom dress out of duct tape and you submit it. Um, Is that why people are doing that? I thought those were just awesome people. (laughs) I've lost respect for a whole generation of duct tape prom dresses. Well, there you go. Uh, There's a a method behind their madness. Um, There are scholarships if you're an Eagle Scout. There are scholarships if you're from Swiss descent. Like There are so many scholarships, but it takes time and energy to do this. But I've I've, um, figured it out. If you... Spend four hours researching a thousand dollar scholarship, submitting essays, applying, and you end up getting that scholarship. You've just paid yourself two hundred and fifty dollars an hour. If you work a minimum wage job, it'll take you one hundred and thirty seven hours to earn that same dollar amount. So, um, to me, it seems like a really good return on investment. My other tip with outside scholarships would be that you go after the small dollar amounts. Uh, they are less competitive. Everybody wants the big money, right? Everybody wants $10,000, $5,000. I say go after the five hundred and the $1,000 scholarships. Um, a lot of the essays that you're going to write for these things can be used for other uh, scholarships. So you, you can have crossover. So it's not as great of a time investment. But um, I know of a student who diligently looks for scholarships every year and each year of his college education he's been able to get about seven thousand dollars from outside wow. resources that's great that's um, impressive this is not a student who has a 1300 uh sat uh, not a 4.0 student so and uh, look for those things because it's money that is, is just going out the door right now hmm. um if only they had applied that effort into getting their scores up in the sat that man they could have so much more money than seven grand a year they could but <laughs> I, I know another student who had the high scores and didn't get as much in outside scholarships because they didn't commit as much time wow. to that process. So my recommendation is that a student spends an hour every week of their senior year looking for scholarships outside of a given institution. Oh, that's very helpful. Huh. Um, but back to the the question, I would also look um, to see, are there places that your son can um, 
gain employment in the summer and maybe take up additional hours. Um, I am a firm believer that students need to be making the investment in their education in order for them to really value it. And so maybe your son is working 30 hours a week. Well, what about working 40 or 50 hours a week? You can do anything for a short season, right? So uh, for a couple of summers leading up to your college graduation, put in that additional time um, in in employment. Also look for ways to reduce um, the, the amount of time that your son spends in college. Are there ways to take classes in the summer? at a cheaper rate or a reduced rate at, at a community college to try to get a student out in three or three and a half years as opposed to four years. Um, for those of you who might be wondering about this, take dual enrollment classes. Um, in this particular situation, uh, your son's already out of high school and not able to do that, but do uh, dual enrollment classes in high school and walk into college with maybe 24 credit hours already under your belt. Um, and then I would also consider ways to reduce spending on can you reduce a data plan on a cell phone? Uh, can you eliminate some costs along the way? Again, for a short period of time, uh, you can make the, the personal sacrifices, a family to kind of cut some of those costs. And then loans are another option uh, in, in the situation. Um, I, I know that you've already taken out some, and I, I don't advise great amounts of loans, but it may be something that you want to look at for the short term. I love the fact that that, Almost that entire list was all on the student, too, by the way. Yeah. Right? I was overjoyed because I was going to say it, and I was like, I'm going to let her get through it before I tell the kid to get a job. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so happy that she get said two that. jobs. Yeah. yeah. And Pinterest is loaded with amazing ramen recipes, by well, the way. Well, there you go. On the that, cheap. That I mean, work. I've become a ramen master. You don't that just have work. to you don't have to eat the horrible ramen right out of the package. Yes. You can make some gourmet food out of that stuff really cheap. Yes. <laughs> I will say there's nothing more frustrating for an admissions or a financial aid professional to have a student come to us and say, we need more money, but you look at the manicure that they have and the car that they drive and uh, see that they've gone off to Europe in the summer instead of of working a job to invest in their education. So um, there is something to a student making that personal investment. Absolutely. That's an important message for the parents, right? Because, you know, depending on what you as a parent see uh, or whose responsibility you see this as, you're either going to create incentives or responsibilities that fall on the the child, the, the student's shoulders, or you're just going to bear up under it yourself. And those are the folks that end up taking parent loans and mortgaging their house and ultimately bankrupting their own retirement because they don't place enough of that responsibility on the student's shoulders. So great, great answer. I, I love those ideas. And you notice she didn't say go to work every single day while you're going to school. It was, you know, summer jobs, part time, yeah, right? that sort of thing, because I would have been Go to work at night. Yep. What's wrong yep. with you? Stop partying. Go to work. But that's just me. I'm a hardliner. <laughs> that's what I did. I worked at school. I, I yeah, me yep. too. Yep. I was I was up at 3.30 in the morning every single day, and I went to night classes. Yep. So yep. I have no sympathy. Yep. None. Yep. <laughs> Got to work. Yep. There you go. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it, and uh, you've been an absolute uh, treasure trove of advice. Thank you so much. Well, yep. thank you for having me. We do appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. So the next question we have is Daniel from South Bend, 21 years old. How old should I be before I worry about getting life insurance? My car insurance guy has been pushing me to buy a policy, and I don't know if it's a good idea. Do you have any advice for me? Uh, The day before you pass away, I think, is when I would get that life insurance in place. No, I I think it's when you, you, if you've been listening to the show before, we've talked about life insurance uh, several times, actually, and we're big believers in a needs-based approach. 
So from a finance, from a practical standpoint, you really shouldn't consider life insurance until you have a financial need on your, on your shoulders. So if you, is someone relying on your income that if you passed away, they would be, well, eh, struggling financially, I guess, right. it, with either bills to pay or people to support, mouths to feed, something like that. If that's not the case, you probably don't need to consider life insurance just yet, except, Josh, there is one other issue to consider getting life insurance early. Well, probably, I assume you're referring to just getting your insurability exactly. locked in, right? Because in your early 20s, I'm assuming you're not only young, but you're also healthy. You haven't accumulated all the ailments that uh, we... Uh, older folks have... Case my my back up. is out right <laughs> yeah. now. Like I am struggling every day. <laughs> so, you know, getting the insurance while you're young, healthy, and it's inexpensive is not a bad idea. But we also want to pay attention that there are other types of insurance that may be more important to get in place. I'm a big fan of getting health insurance in place and then disability insurance then having life insurance be the third one in the list of priorities. Health insurance is all about protecting you against an expense crisis due to high medical costs. And then the disability insurance, that's really there to protect you against, <clears throat> excuse me, an income crisis due to an accident or an illness hurting your ability to earn an, an income. So those types of insurance are especially important. I'd get those in place. And until you have a family uh, don't worry as much about the life insurance just yet. Maybe something small, like if, uh, you know, you have relatives that are going to be, you know, dealing with the burial costs and you know that maybe mm -hmm. they wouldn't be able to cover that. Maybe something that could cover the average funeral cost. Would that be something you'd recommend? Yeah, you could go get a 100000 or $150,000 term life insurance policy, have it be a 30-year term so it would stretch a ways. That would give you at least a little bit of coverage. Um, but that's probably something that you would either add to or replace down the line when you are married and have kids because $100,000 just doesn't do go anything very far. for family. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. We're just more thinking of, of if you have somebody that is going to be responsible for your costs of burial, should God forbid yeah. anything happen and they would struggle with that, it might be nice to have something that could help cushion that, that blow a little bit. All right. Once again, if you have a question for the guys over at Quorum Financial Group, please go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can uh, submit your question right there on the website. You can also get more information about the show. Listen to previous episodes. And so we've talked about uh, college financial aid today, and there's a couple of episodes where that came up just a little bit, so you can go back and look at those. Also, if you prefer to leave us a voicemail, you can do that. Give us a call at 574-222-2000. We do check those voicemails on a regular basis, and we'll convert them to questions, and we'll answer those on the show, just like uh, if you were to submit it on the website. We've got more coming up. You're listening to Wise Money with Corn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Once again, I'm Casey Hendrickson. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, and I've got Mike and Josh from Corhorn Financial Group joining me here today. And we're in the portion of our show where we answer listener questions. And as always, if you have a question, go to wisemoneyradio.com or give us a call and submit your question through voicemail at 574-222-2000. So we've got Summer from Niles, 31 years old. The other day I heard an advertisement from the state of Indiana about identity theft. Heard those two. If I understand it correctly, the Attorney General of Indiana is suggesting that people freeze their credit report proactively. 
Do you know if there's any cost to doing that or any downside that I should be aware of? Good question, actually. Yeah, very astute question. question. I mean, timely. This, this is just coming up all the time about identity theft. And I would be aware of what some of the consequences could be, some of the side effects. Uh, we had we, we actually talked to someone in our insurance agency about this uh, earlier this week, Janet Harriman, who's one of our insurance agents. And she said, hey, be, be careful with this because your home and auto insurance rates are also, they, they, that cost that you pay for your home and auto insurance is part factored by your credit report. And if you do not, if you have a frozen credit report, then they actually just take, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but an average of just some unknown individual's credit scores, right? right? That's because they they go to pull your credit score and they get no score or uh, a no hit, I think is the phrase that Janet used. And basically, since they don't have a score to plug into their pricing algorithm, they just take a middle of the road score, which could be much lower than your own high score if you've got really strong credit. So at renewal time, when it's time to buy another year worth of insurance, the risk would be that your premiums actually go up in price because you froze your credit. Yeah. So Janet's, kind of a potential trap there that Janet had revealed to us. Yeah, Janet has seen that. So there's other ways she mentioned of protecting your credit. We're going to talk about this on, an, on a future show where you talk about uh, insurance policies to help with identity theft or recover if you've uh, been a victim. But there are other consequences too, like obviously if you if you think you're going to need a car loan yeah. or you want to refinance. You can't take out any yeah. credit with that being frozen. They'll, they'll demand that you unfreeze it before it, they do anything. Cell phones, utility bills, there's a lot out there where they look at your credit. And if it's frozen, it could either create more hassle or time or just you're not able to get it. Now, if you're one of those people that's just deciding, hey, my credit is not something that I'm going to go on, I don't really care, I'm going to do cash or whatever, uh, and you want to freeze it, would that be something you guys would recommend? Possibly, but be aware of that insurance cost. Right, that's that's another one. What so. if you have really bad credit? Yeah, I thought about that. <laughs> what if <laughs> would, that actually that improves your cost? Would that be a good strategy? <laughs> <laughs> if you're good at question. like a 401, I mean, that might actually benefit you. Who knows? <laughs> Hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> always game in the system. Yeah, man. You always got to look. Always got to look for an edge, right, guys? All right, we got Kelly from uh, Bremen. Uh, do you guys ever recommend that somebody roll over some of their retirement dollars into their 401k at work after they have started a new job? Not often. Not often, because if you've got an old retirement account and you've started a new job, it might be easy and convenient maybe to just roll that old account, that old retirement account into the new one at the new job. But in doing so, you're really at the mercy of all the rules and restrictions and limitations that that new that that new 401k plan or new retirement plan has to offer. And the one that stands out to me is just your investment choices. Mm-hmm. So there's there's just this big emphasis for retirement plans to have as few choices as possible. And to me, that just limits your ability to get great diversification and access to great investment options. And so most of the time, almost all the time, there's several good reasons why you should have uh, that that old retirement account in an IRA or in a separate account other than your new retirement plan. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that, um, you know, as financial advisors, we have a bias, right? I mean, we we uh, are compensated for helping people with their investments when they roll dollars out of an old retirement plan and into an IRA. And because of that, we come under lots of scrutiny to make sure that uh, we're disclosing any conflicts of interest to, to clients and everything. 
But despite all of that, I still say rolling it over to an IRA most of the time is going to make the most sense because of what you just mentioned, that you have more investment options and you have a professional that can be walking with you. You know, unless you have a lot of experience as an investment person or you're just really unemotional when it comes to your own investing, having someone to walk with you and help guide those investments, I think, is important. And it's worth the extra cost of having it in an IRA with a a financial advisor helping you as opposed to what could maybe be a less expensive 401k to invest in. That just doesn't have as many options available. You also lose out on the ability to convert those dollars to a Roth conversion if they're within your 401k. Now, there might be some advancement in a couple of years where they let you do that inside of 401k, but I don't see that happening here real soon. And if the dollars were in an IRA, you could, in a, in a good year, you could convert those dollars to a Roth and have them grow tax-free forever. So you, you'd lose that ability too. So, and We only got about two minutes left. Pat says... How would I judge whether my mutual funds are performing well enough? Is there a way to know what amount of interest I should be earning right now? I love this question because I'm getting it all the time. Yeah. No one is happy with their investments this year. We're we're winding down 2015, and that means 2014 and 2015 have really not been great years to invest. If you're diversified, then you're probably looking looking at your investments, and they haven't performed uh, up to your expectations. Well, that's because most people set their expectations on what did the Dow Jones Industrial Average do yesterday. And that may not be the right benchmark. That's right. You know, the the Dow Jones Industrial Average that you hear on the, the news every evening is 30 stocks here in the U.S., and it's not nearly as diversified as your own portfolio should be, and therefore it may not be the best measuring stick to, you know, compare your own portfolio to. So I, I just be real careful about picking the wrong benchmark um, to, to judge your investments against. All right, guys, another great show in the uh, in the bag. Of course, college financial aid, man, that's a huge, huge. that's a huge yeah. deal right now. So again, if you have additional questions, please go to wisemoneyradio.com. If you want to leave a voicemail rather than sending us a message from the website, you can give us a call at five seven four two 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 thousand. We will address those on future programs. And if you need a, a financial service, I mean, corehorn.com, that's corehorn with a K. And you guys do, I mean, just list all of the services that you guys do real quick, because yeah. I think people just think you guys handle portfolios. Comprehensive financial planning, investment management, tax planning and tax preparation, insurance, including home, auto, life, health, all of it. One-stop shop for all of your financial needs. Corehorn.com. Yep. If you're looking for uh, some professionals to help you out in that that category. Otherwise, uh, it's been another great week. We will see you next Saturday right here on 95.3 MNC. You've been listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Have a great weekend. Good morning. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.